0: This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. And welcome to the City of God podcast, where we are exploring today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of god's infallible word my name is rob pacienza and as always joined by my friend and co-host john rabe john great to see you today
1: it's great to see you rob i am particularly excited about today's program i'm excited every week that we do this we have tremendous guests but this is one of those programs where when we recorded this um we had a couple pictures taken it's the kind of thing where i sent out to my friends like hey check this out um Decades ago, when I started my career, I actually started in sports broadcasting, sports talk broadcasting, and uh, this guest that we're having on today is a longtime major sports figure. This is someone that we used to try to get for uh, get as a guest on radio programs I was involved in uh, in the 90s. And we would just get laughed at, like, oh, yeah, right, get in line. Uh, because this was literally the most in-demand interview in the sports world, certainly among the top three or four uh, in, in the 1990s. And we had him right here to chat about it. So remove the mystery for us. Rob, who are we we're,
0: talking to? Uh, we're talking about legendary coach Lou Holtz. And I got to be honest with you, I've had the privilege of uh, meeting uh, world-renowned pastors and thought leaders, actors. I'm still like a little kid when it comes to athletes and coaches. Me too. I mean, there, especially at uh, the, the caliber of, uh, of Coach Holtz. I mean, it just was phenomenal getting to meet him, spend the day with him, and also to bring him into uh, the City of God podcast. Podcast studio. And uh, Lou Holtz is somebody that, well, whether it was on the field or now off the field, has really um, spent much of his career talking about the need uh, for leadership, mm-hmm. uh, talking about how sports can make an impact uh, well beyond just the X's and O's uh, of football and uh, well beyond what happens on the court or on the field, uh, but also all throughout life. And so it was a fascinating conversation of talking about leadership, talking about about the need for uh, mentors, talking about the need for men to stand up uh, in our culture. Uh, he, he's had the privilege of uh, coaching men on and off the field, and uh, just a privilege to sit down with him and, and get his perception on what's happening today in our culture, uh, but what uh, the people of God and those that hold a Christian worldview and that hold, those that hold a traditional view of, of the family can do about it. Absolutely. And
1: uh, he coaches resume as well. Well-known Lou Holtz uh, in in college. He coached at the University of Arkansas, South Carolina, Minnesota, most famously, of course, Notre Dame, where he won a national championship. As you'll hear in the conversation, he mentions it probably should have been even a couple more, Uh, and we talk about the football side of it and the leadership side of it. Um, He also coached the New York Jets in the NFL. Less said about that, probably the better. Uh, But he uh, is a guy who has a real passion, as you said, for for leadership, for helping uh, men to stand up and be men, and honestly has some genuine concerns about where our culture is at right now, where this is all heading, and 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 where we're at from a leadership perspective. And so we delve into all of that with him. Just covers everything that you'd want to talk about with Lou Holtz. After football, he ended up at ESPN, where he had an, another extraordinarily successful career, just as an analyst, um, where it was a, a whole new chapter that it brought him to a whole new generation. He's been a longtime motivational speaker, and all of it shows up in this interview. It was just a, a real kick to get to do this with Lou Holtz. Yeah,
0: a- absolutely. Having a, a young son, uh, 13 years of age, who loves sports, uh, it was a fascinating conversation for me to have with Coach Holtz to be reminded of the important role that we play as pastors and fathers and mentors and coaches on The Next Generation. So just a fascinating conversation with a fascinating individual. So without further ado, here is our conversation with legendary coach Lou Holtz. Coach Holt, so great to have you on the City of God podcast today and and have you as our guest. Uh, We do this podcast weekly, and we're talking to a very broad audience. And I think one of the things we want to talk to you today about is, in addition to you being a successful, well-known coach, you talk a lot about leadership. Talk to us a little bit about your philosophy on leadership and why leadership is so important, particularly right now in the 21st century.
2: Well, I never felt I coached football. I felt I coached life. Mm. And the same things that made him a good football player would make him a good husband, a good father, and a good businessman, etc., I don't think there's anything more important than leadership, and they come in all sizes. You aren't born a leader. It's when you make up your mind you want to be a leader. And if you're the head of a family, you are a leader. And there isn't anything more important you're going to do in your life than being a father or a husband. That's the most important job you have. So with leadership, is just they can appoint you the head coach. They can't appoint you the leader. And Father Hesburgh said it best when I went to Notre Dame. He said, in a half hour we're going to walk in the press conference, I'm going to announce the world you're the head coach at Notre Dame. He said, I cannot announce you're the leader. He said, titles come from above. Leaders are determined by the people below them. And if you have a vision where you want to go, a plan of how you're going to get there, then you're going to have good success. But I'd say this, the most important thing in leadership is having high standards. Mm. Uh, your obligation, leaders have high standards. There are too many people, Reverend, that are in a leadership role that want to be well liked. And so they literally the, lower the standards so people like them. You're doing a disservice to the organization any time you lower the standards.
1: I think by the same token, Coach, uh, a lot of people misunderstand leadership. And and if we're just looking at uh, ESPN clips of coaches, uh, we might gather the same misunderstanding. They think that leadership is just raising your voice. It's just yelling. That's not what we're talking about here. It may require that occasionally, but, but leadership is a lot more
2: than that. You, you have to adjust to it. Now, you have to remember when I was in high school playing... One of my assistant coaches five years before was at Iwo Jima. I don't tell him about your bad head or something. He <laughs> can't get left about that. But today, people are different. With the younger generation, if I coach today, I'd be a better coach, but I'd also be different in this respect. With the younger generation, what you say to them is very important. But what you say down there is important as your tone of voice. Your tone of voice is not near as important as your facial expression. Hmm. And so the madder you get, the more you smile, the softer you speak. You say, Jim, you have no idea how mad I am, but (laughs) then you're going to find out. Because when you scowl and you yell, they are so insecure that you today are going to rebel and going to withdraw from you.
0: Interesting. You know, one of the things that we believe in the Christian faith is that it's not always about the mountaintop experiences. It, many times it's the valley experiences that really shape us as individuals. They shape us as leaders. And I know you would, you would say that some of the greatest lessons in life were the hard lessons that you've had to face in life. As a leader, as a coach, as a mentor, what are some of those hard lessons you've had to learn along the way that has shaped the man that you are
2: today? Well, I don't know how long this program is. But, <laughs> hey, we'll make time for you. <laughs> but I, I, I will say this: that I, I've never had a catastrophe in my life. Didn't turn out to be positive if I reacted favorably to it. Mm. I firmly believe that everything happens can be a positive thing. Let me give you an example. I go to the University of Arkansas. I'm there seven years, seven bowl bids, four top ten finishes. Beston lost record in the history of the Southwest Conference, only the Dare Royal. I'm there seven years, and Frank Burrell's athletic director called me in and said, I want your resignation. Why? Wouldn't give me a reason except it's in the best interest. Well, I was so mad I knew where all the bodies were buried. I was going to the <laughs> baby and I was going to attack him and everybody else. My wife said no. And she's very religious. She said, you know what we did? Have a faith in God, and we'll move on. Two years later, this was told me by Gene Corrigan, the athletic director, and hired me at Notre Dame. He said he called Frank Burroughs. He said, we're looking at different coaches. We wondered what happened with Lou Holtz. He said, I listened to somebody tell me something that wasn't true. He said, Lou Holtz, the best coach I've ever been around. If you can hire him, don't even interview anybody else. I end up at Notre Dame, my dream job. Because the guy that fired me gave me the best recommendation. I could go on and on about how things happen, whether it be a loss or anything else. If you react favorably to it, it will work itself out. But you're going to go through difficulties. That's part of life. I, I'm an old man. And, and I'll say this. My, my birthday candles cost more than a cake. <laughs> <laughs> but the older you are, you know what I found out? That life is not... Solving problems or not having problems, life is making good choices because you're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties in your life all the rest of your life. As I say, I'm an old man, and there's always going to be a case where I got this mountain, that challenge, and you got to accept it in a positive faith. The people that don't have a faith in God, I don't know how they get through it. Now, having a faith in God doesn't mean that you aren't going to have problems. What it means is you're going to be able to handle them. And you're going to have difficulty in life. That's all part of it. But just make good choices, wherever you are, good or bad, because of the choices you make. Choose do drugs, drop out of school, join a gang, get tattoos from head to body. You're choosing to have difficulty in life and stop blaming me. Blame yourself because of the choice you make. Now, when you feel that you are in a bad situation because of the choices somebody else made, then you're going to count on them to get you out. Mm. When you realize I'm in this situation because of the choices I made, then you and you alone will start making better choices and get yourself out of that quag bar.
0: Yeah, it's a good I th- word.
1: I think you're
2: sharing some of it with us even
1: as we go here. But, of course, uh, as a college football coach, uh, wins matter. They're not unimportant. And your record speaks for itself, a national championship at Notre Dame. And yet we know as well that that wins and losses are not the only thing that you're going after, particularly as a college coach as opposed to perhaps a, at the pro level. What was it that you wanted to accomplish? in the lives of the young men who played for you at whatever program you were at?
2: I I want to understand that whether you're in business or whether you're with a football team, even if you happen to have a church, I would think, you go through four stages. I go into a situation, I took over six college situations, never inherited a winner. Never fail to go to a bowl game by the second year at the latest. The first thing we have to do, we have to learn how to be competitive. Mm -hmm. You learn how to be competitive because you execute the basic fundamentals. Great football players start out by learning how to block and tackle. After you learn to be competitive, then you have to go through stage two. You learn how to win. And you learn how to win because you do little things. Everybody does the big things. It's a team that does the little things that will win. Then you go through phase number three. And phase number three is you have to learn to handle winning. Once you start winning, everybody forgets what it was like to lose. Don't think you can ever lose again, and that's not right. And they all want credit for it. They want to stop doing the things that they needed to do. Uh And once you learn to handle winning, you go through phase four, which is the championship phase. The championship phase is when the players take responsibility for the culture of the team. In other words, they don't wait for the coach to get on a teammate. They'll, they'll do that themselves. About, that's not the way we do things here. And once you get that where the culture, the players are responsible for the culture, you've got an unbeatable situation that's going to A bad year will be if you lose two games.
0: We have a lot of parents and grandparents that watch this podcast, and I think we all can agree we live in a uh, a, a culture right now where everybody wants to be the victim. Yeah. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their life, for their future, for their past, and and certainly don't you know don't want to really own kind of their uh, what what they're supposed to do and have responsibility for their life. Why is it so important, particularly now in, our, in this cultural moment, uh, that? Uh, older men, older women are taking it upon themselves to mentor the next generation, to give them a a different vision than maybe we're seeing in Hollywood or in the media. Uh, How do we get away from this victimhood mentality
2: and really speak to the next generation? Why is it so important right now? Oh, I think it's critical. I'm writing a book right now, not writing it as fast as I'd like. And it's basically about the freedoms we've lost in the 87 years I've been on this Mm. earth. And how things have changed. Today, people don't want to be held accountable. You have to be held accountable. Whether you're part of a team, part of a business, part of a church, you got to be held accountable. But if you say you're going to do something, you go do it. Everybody has a role. We have to do that role the best of our ability. I always say we have three rules. Rule number one, do what's Right. Mm. And if you have any doubt, get out the Bible There's never one ti- right time to do the wrong thing mm. There's never a wrong time to do the right thing Just do what's right Why is that important? So you can build trust with other people If you don't have trust with a team If you don't have trust in a marriage It ain't going to last Then mm. rule number two Do everything the best of your ability Not everybody can be all American Not everybody can be all conference Not everybody can be first team Not everybody can be an a day student But everybody can be the best they're capable of being. And rule number three is always show people you care. You're never going to meet anybody again. Doesn't need a smile, a kind word, encouragement. Too many people today just worry about themselves and don't think about anybody else. And that's what creates different problems. I, I, I really love this country, but I've seen a change where everybody makes an excuse for somebody else. Everybody, sh- well, everybody should get an A. That's nonsense. That's yeah. not what made this country great. Everybody should get a trophy. No. Right. Everybody should get what they earn or what they deserve, and you learn how to handle disappointment. I grew up, I was weaker and younger and smaller and had a list, which I still do. People made fun of me, my teammates, my classmates. But you learn to handle that. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Now all of a sudden you can't worry. You can't say this. We start worrying about this, bro, down that. That's absolutely not. Let's get back to the basic fundamental. And is tired of the tyranny of the minority Control of this country.
1: Amen. Yeah, that's a good word. And you've already even anticipated what I was going to ask you, but uh, you know, of course, uh, sort of opposition is not something that a, a college football coach uh, fails to experience. Uh, you you walk into a lot of places where where people uh, sort of hate you just because of what you represent or who you are. Whenever you go in there, in fact, I have family in Tallahassee, and I'm going to have to be very careful even about how I present the fact that we're doing this today when I when I tell them about it. Um, that being said, you face some of those things. Um, is, is there any trepidation that comes with speaking your mind on issues like that, on issues about where our country is, issues about uh, the, the, the victim mentality and so forth? Because you know that there are a lot of people who will say, oh, who are you to talk about that? You
2: stay in your lane. You go, go, oh, you know, kick the ball. We, no we don't want to hear that. No, no doubt. And everybody's always going to try to silence you. Mm-hmm. And I say this, I. I I don't i just I don't care about what I say I care about being right as long as I feel something in my heart, you aren't going to intimidate me this is who I am I'm an old man now as i say i I don't care <laughs> how you feel this is what I feel, and I know what made this country great mm. and it was the aspiration of we're going to be the best we could be, and you're going to get an education you're going to learn how to read and write and how to think not they don't They didn't teach me what to think. Mm. They taught me how to think, how to make decisions, and you go from there. And I look at this country. Put these three questions on both parties. Can you trust them? Well, I can tell that. That person's lying because his mouth is moving. (laughs) I mean, you get nothing but lie after lie after lie. And then people will make excuses for it. That's nonsense. Mm -hmm. The second thing is who wants to be great? Who wants this country to be great? Do we want our individual to be great? That's why I don't understand why we do not have school choice. I went to a Catholic grade school because of the religious affiliation. But it was great for me. I struggled in the public school because they really didn't care whether I learned or not. Mm -hmm. And I see these poor students today taught and, and confined to a school that they don't have a chance. When you have 17 high schools in Baltimore and not a single student qualified mathematically or English their senior year, that's insane. That's mm-hmm. wrong. That's being unfair to people. Let's give them school choice. All these politicians send their children to private school, but no, you're going to go to a public school. Well, well give them a choice like you have. Because, once again, as I say, life's the better choices. And I, I think that these people that forget about choices and when person makes bad choices, they condone it and they make excuses for it, and it's always somebody else's fault, and that's nonsense. It's time people stood up and said, "This is how I feel," and I'm not going to be intimidated by it. We have that obligation to the younger people to speak up. What What happens in this country it isn't going to change my life, but it's going to change the life of my grandchildren, my great grandchildren, and that's why I get very vocal about it because I feel that's my obligation. And uh, you can't pay people in the past, but you can pay pay forward. There's an awful lot of people that when I grew up in the Midwest that paid attention to me, that, that insisted I do good things. I think about the teachers I had. Glenda Dunlop, my sophomore English teacher, meanest human being I've ever met. Pound for pound, she didn't wow. weigh 105 pounds. She scared the daylight out <laughs> of me. Her. her husband was a, a, a he owned a funeral home. But you know what? I can't begin to tell you how many times I've written Glenda Dunlop before she died and thanked her, that she cared enough about whether I learned English, because once I went to college, I was able to use that English. And get through. So just have standards. We don't do a favor for anybody by lowering the standards. It goes back to what I said about leadership. Mm-hmm. Have high standards.
0: Yeah. In, in an age of gender confusion and what I've heard people call the uh, pronoun parade. I mean, there's a new pronoun, uh, you know, that we're
2: hearing about all the time and Shame on us for allowing that to happen. Uh, a, 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 shame on us. I yep. mean, God made a man and a woman, Amen. period. Amen.
0: And- yeah. And so for the for the men listening, why is it so important for men in particular? Manhood's under attack. We have absentee fathers in America. Why is it so important for
2: men to step up right now in our society? Oh, I think it's absolutely critical. You know, as I said, I'm an old man. And what changed this country where we started downhill? was in uh, the early, late 60s when John F. Kennedy came out with his Great Society. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to pay a woman to have children, but not if the man's in the house. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a man in the house, we all have a role. And and I want to tell you, my my wife and the women— are the strong sect. Make no mistake about it. I mean, if you're married, you know she's smarter and she does things a little bit different, and she manipulates you where you're thinking you're the head of the family. <laughs> but you but you have obligations as a father and as a husband to provide leadership. And if you don't have children, then you ought to adopt some. I, not, not physically adopt them, but just say, okay, I'm going to help these young people make better decisions we go law and, and I would talk to athletes and they'd say yeah I, my father wasn't home and I didn't have a father and didn't get good guidance and start wallowing self pity then they all have two children out of wedlock well how how's that work you know you just told me how important a father was in your life and it wasn't there now you're going to be there for them I, I think we have an obligation and I can't help but think back to East Liverpool High School where I played football. And my, my my father was in the Navy from age 7 to 12, and he came back. He had a third-grade education. He had to find a way to make a living, support the family, so I don't fault him. But my uncle... It was like my brother, my father, my best friend. And then you had maybe five or six people, Harry McConville and different people, some teachers, some pastors, some businessmen that cared enough about us and spent time and helped us. That's amazing. Quick sports question.
0: The national championship team, what was so special about that team, in your opinion?
2: We didn't lose. Yeah,
0: that's a good answer.
2: (laughs) They they refused refused to lose. People ask me to write an autograph, put Lou Holtz, National Champs in 88, and then I write and screwed in 89, 90, 93, but I'm not bitter. (laughs) I I wish we would have had the playoff then, but I I think uh, the best team I had was in 89. And sometimes as a coach, you want to be able to go home if you didn't win, and look back and say, they do everything I could to help them. Well, my second year, actually the fourth year, we'd won 23 in a row. federal national champs, last game of the year, we downplayed Miami. And I lost that football game. And uh, the team's coming back at Notre Dame on the 23rd where they play Ohio State. They're also going to honor my wife that weekend. But Notre Dame was so obsessed with the mental image you might give about the way we conduct ourselves. Well, we'd be perfect gentlemen, but we step on that football field. We flat want to win. And so we're going down to play them in a hostile environment. And I had our team so passive and so docile that we did not react mm. to the challenge we had. That first time I had never failed to do it. But that was my fault because I worried about perception of what I, and the right thing, and the obligation I had that team was to prepare them for a difficult environment, and I didn't do that. It bothers me to this day, but I can't change it. So if you can't change it, then move on. Mm. That's good work. It really is.
1: And, and you look back on that, and it's, of course, those are some of the great days of college football, some of the great rivalries. Everybody remembers those games even now. Um, but I'm curious, and, and I I think some of it has come through in what you've said here, the way that you handle adversity and that uh, the, the, the help that that can be. But I'm just curious, because this is the first chance I've ever had to sit down and chat with somebody who won a national championship at Notre Dame. I... Uh, I would imagine, even as someone who coached at a number of other programs as well and and coached for a time at the NFL level, that there's just absolutely no pressure in the the sports world like coaching football at Notre Dame. Uh, What was that like? And and, and just describe that atmosphere and the pressure that comes with it.
2: Oh, the alums were great if you won. Mm. (laughs) Period. But— (laughs) You know, once you, Eric Persigian said to me, when I went there, he said, Coach, this job's different than any place you've ever had. He said, But if you win a national championship, it changes. Mm -hmm. And he was right. Once you win the national championship, they put you up on a pedestal and you got like clay feet. And they never expect you to ever lose, ever make a mistake, (laughs) or anything else along that line. But uh, as I used to tell the players that, you know, when I we're Notre Dame, we're Notre Dame, and a eight, and I use eight for Ephesus, not to illustrate the caliber of education <laughs> I received at Kent State. And At Kent State, we said we can't read, we can't write, but we are Kent State. But <laughs> just, just having a pride in what you do, and how you do it, and, and understanding when we go out to play, man, I'm going to tell you that other side's going to be so fired up to play against Notre Dame. I read sometimes where I went to school because we're going to play Notre Dame. So understand that they're going to be fired up. We're going to get their best shot. But the only thing I can think of more motivation to play against Notre Dame to be able to play for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. and So nobody should be more fired up than us. And you come to Notre Dame not to win some of them, not to win most of them. You come to Notre Dame to win all of them. And there shouldn't be an excuse for anything if we just do everything the best of our ability. And Notre Dame had high academic standards, and they, had, they put a lot of restrictions on me. I don't blame them. For example, we're defending national champs. The day the team reports, Notre Dame informs me that Michael Stonebreaker, an All-American linebacker, would not be allowed to play the entire year or set foot on the field because he had a car accident. Nobody was injured. It wasn't drinking, and uh, Tony Brooks, your leading ground gator, will not play this year either because he ain't parking tickets. We told him not to bring his car on campus, and he drove (laughs) on campus to empty his clothes for the year, and I found out the day they report. But Notre Dame had covered everything with me before I went there. That I wouldn't have anything to do with the discipline and admissions. It goes on and on. So you just accept it. You know, That that that's why I went to Notre Dame. And If I didn't want to go under those stipulations, then I, then I shouldn't have went. It wasn't like they changed the rules. Mm-hmm. They explained the rules to me and I accepted them before. And I think that's the way life should be. You make an agreement, you honor the agreement. Not because it's convenient. Not because you feel good. It's just the way you live. And, and I I, I got to tell you this, being a nerd was great about certain things because I could talk about my faith mm-hmm. without having to worry about somebody calling me uh, from the
1: ACLU. ACLU.
2: It? Yeah. And complaining. You know, I could be myself. And uh, every day in fall camp, that's amazing. I would read them proverbs for that mm. day. Wow. There were 30 of them. And the, the the proverbs tells you how to live with your fellow. That's right, man. You yeah. know, if you do that, and I just it's amazing that it, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, a young man named Paul Grassmanis who played several years with the Philadelphia Eagles, said that that was one of the most important things he still reads the Proverbs. That's amazing. Yeah,
0: My son is 12, my daughter's 10, and we're going through Proverbs every morning before we go to school, so embrace wisdom and reject folly. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, Coach, we just can't thank you enough for being here today. Uh, We're recording this podcast. It's August of 2023, and (laughs) Coach Holtz has already spent a full day uh, speaking to our students at Westminster Academy, our football coaches. He's going to be with us later on this afternoon to speak to our varsity football team, so Just thank you for your leadership, not only on the field, but off the field. And uh, you are an incredible man that is walking out his faith
2: (laughs) and being used by God in tremendous ways. He he is using me, I I must say that. Uh, But what is nice is I just speak from my heart. I, I don't have to remember what I yeah, did. It's genuine. Is, it's all the truth. It, it just yeah. it, it comes from your heart. Yeah. And so, But thank you for having me, and I want to tell you what a beautiful place you have here, how impressive this has been. And just looking at your students, how how fortunate they are. As I talked to the student, I told I hope they appreciate how fortunate they are. To be able to go to a school that can express their faith. They'll never take that for Don't granted. Don't take it for granted. Don't tell me how fortunate you are. Yeah. Coach,
0: Coach, may God richly bless you, and thank you for your leadership.
2: Thank you. He, he has blessed me. I was married for 59 years, so I'm fortunate. I try to count my blessings, and if I'd known God was going to let me live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. <laughs> I mean, that's All right thank
0: you absolutely thank you thank you so much for joining us today on the city of god podcast Uh, we pray that you enjoyed this conversation with legendary coach lou holtz if you were encouraged by today's podcast we pray that you would pass it along to family members and friends as we navigate together today's cultural moment all through the lens of god's infallible word we pray that god richly blesses you and we pray that we'll see you right back here on the city of god The City of God podcast is produced by Coral Ridge Ministries and made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. Visit us at cityofgodpodcast.com to access all of our previous episodes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. A full video version of this podcast is available on YouTube. This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture.